Welcome to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman, a collaborative podcast with Pass It On Network. This program is brought to you by all of Community Services. Seniors deserve to have a fulfilling life with dignity and respect, but as we transition into our elderhood years, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here is Phyllis Amon. Welcome to Senior Straight Talk, where we present informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host. The show, which began in September of 2019, formerly known as Voices for Elder Care Advocacy, with the full library of all of the episodes, which can be found on the Voice America Empowerment Channel under the name Senior Straight Talk, and can be downloaded on popular podcast platforms. The show is now also syndicated on the Voice America Influencers Channel. So please remember to like, click, and share our episodes. You can hear the short news tidbits of interest to seniors, their families, and the general public on my YouTube channel at Phyllis Amon Associates. When visiting the channel, please remember to like, share, and subscribe to Senior News for today. I have two courses, which you may find on my website, www.phyllisamonassociates.com. For those listeners who are in what I call SOS mode, stressed, overwhelmed, and stretched, Resilience Toolbox Secrets can help you capture the three R's, recharge, reset, and recommit. And family members considering taking on the role of caregiver or those just beginning the caregiver journey can find valuable information in my latest course, A Caregiving Guide for Caregivers, The Basics. I also have a new course coming out soon, which I'm proud to say I collaborated on with uh, Music and Memory and Write to Music founder, Dan Cohen. And the course is Coming Alive with Music and Communicating Effectively with Persons Having Dementia. My latest book, Dignity and Respect, Are Aging Parents Getting What They Deserve, is available on Amazon in both paperback and ebook formats. Dr. Bill Thomas wrote the foreword for the book. And it addresses critical information about how we care for and treat our elder citizens in our families, our communities, in nursing homes, and assisted living residences. I hope you'll purchase a copy and encourage your friends and colleagues to do the same. I appreciate your support, and I hope you'll spread the word on this all-important topic. Senior Straight Talk is proud of the collaborative partnership with the Pass It On Network, a global peer learning network for positive aging advocates and a member of the United Nations Open Working Group on Aging. Together, we will continue bringing our listeners informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. And I'm also glad to welcome our sponsor, Olive Community Services, a nonprofit organization in Fullerton, California, dedicated to providing culturally appropriate services to the diverse senior population. And before I begin, I have to thank Peter DeGear of DeGear Therapy Services, who is a colleague and consultant specializing in rehabilitation services in nursing homes. Now I'm going to turn my attention to our guest, who has been a guest uh, when the show was Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Um, I'm so happy to be here today with Penny Cook, who is the president and CEO of Pioneer Network, a nonprofit organization that for the past 22 years has been dedicated to changing the culture of aging and the culture of long-term care. Penny began her career in New York as a social worker, focusing on older adults in acute and post-acute settings, and then moved to Colorado and worked in the policy and advocacy arenas as the program manager of the Long-Term Care Ombudsman Program and as the executive director of the Colorado Culture Change Coalition. Most recently, she was the director of Long-Term Services and Supports at Colorado Access, a nonprofit health plan in Colorado. And Penny is passionate about helping us all value and respect our own aging, as well as those we support. So I'm so glad you're with me today, Penny. How are you today? I'm good, Phyllis, and thanks so much for having me again. Uh, what, what's the weather like out there in uh, Colorado? I have to tell you, we've experienced two days of high 50s and sun. And of course, right before we're expecting snow later today. So it's the roller coaster ride of Colorado weather. Uh, I think we're all having a roller coaster ride of a ride of weather around this country these days. So it's not only particular to Colorado. 
I think the weather is indicative of our life these days. I was just going to say the same thing. We've been on a roller coaster ride of life. Uh, I don't know any other way to describe it. And um, I think we're still on it. We're probably going to be on it for a little while longer. Although I don't think the the rate of the roller coaster ride, I think the rate of the roller coaster ride has, has diminished slightly. What do you think? I agree. I think that the, the ups and downs, you know, aren't, aren't as high and low as they were before. Thank goodness. Right. Which should help us all because I'm sure many of us have experienced those highs and lows and it hasn't been an easy time for anyone. No, not at all. Not at all. It's really been a year unlike any other in our yeah, history. Absolutely. So uh, many of the listeners may not know what Pioneer ne- Network is really all about, and I'm thrilled to have you tell them about it because it's such a phenomenal organization. Sure. Well, let me just start from the beginning because I think that our history really does play a role in where we are now. We did start back in 1997, and it was a group of people, about 25 founders, got together, and they were all doing some creative different things in the world of aging, and particularly in nursing homes. Because if we, if we think back 20-plus years ago, nursing homes were the predominant choice that people had if they needed care and support and could not not continue to live in their own homes. And so all of these folks from providers, um, people who own nursing homes, to people who are consulting, to researchers, to even someone from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services got together because they really believed that that things could be different. You know, we know that nursing homes originally were modeled after hospitals, but one of the things that they realized is people were living in nursing homes and, you know, for the most part, people don't live in hospitals. And we needed to create real home in nursing homes for the people who live there. So they got together for about three days in Rochester, New York, and made a commitment that they were going to spread this word. They, they realized they needed to make people aware of the situation, provide education, and also do advocacy to make sure that they were advocating for these practices that they were talking about with the federal government and the state government specifically. And so over the past 20 plus years, we've continued to do that. A lot of our focus really has been on making senior living and care communities places where people want to live and also places where people want to work because they they have to be both they have to be true communities for people so we focus a lot on education and advocacy so that's near and dear to my heart as you well know i stepped out of the space of working in at that time for about 45 skilled nursing facilities or nursing homes Um, and now it's about 50 in the past few years and stepped out of that space because I was always advocating and always saw how it could be better uh, that people were kind of, I'll use the word languishing, if that's the, if that's an appropriate word, if you think that's an appropriate word, that they were sitting idle and languishing. And I think for the most part, people probably think of uh, the people that are residing in nursing homes as being just old, quote unquote, uh, which I I have an objection to that word anyway, but that's a whole separate conversation, maybe, uh, that they're just these old people. But the reality is that the nursing home population has become much more diverse in terms of age, as well as many other areas. What, What do you what's your take on that? Incredibly so. You know, I spent about seven years as a long-term care ombudsman. And one of the things that I realized is that there were people in nursing homes who were my age, who were living there. So I think that this perception that we have that nursing homes and even assisted living communities are only for people of a certain age is not correct. We have people of all ages living in those types of communities, assisted living communities and nursing homes, and really people, a diverse group of people that that you would find, you know, in any city, in any neighborhood as well. So, you know, people who have very, very different needs. So, you know, you can't categorize residents of nursing homes um, just in one 
bucket. There's incredible diversity, which means that you can have an incredibly rich community if you had respect and appreciation for individuals. But unfortunately, we just haven't necessarily built that system that way. And that's part of one of the, that's part of the problem. And I think you touched on something in the very beginning, which is how they were formed, which is kind of an extension of a hospital environment. And, and that's almost even more so now in some ways as hospitals don't really, uh, you know, keep people in the hospital environment for long periods of time. In actuality, they try and move them out as quickly as possible. And so there's this whole interim uh, space in nursing homes or, and I think that's partially how the whole skilled nursing facility name came about. Um, I know we don't like to use the word facility. You and I have had that discussion, but that is really that space, that, that part of, of the, the, that environment, I'll call it, is, is kind of a skilled nursing facility because it's a subacute, uh, they call it a subacute or a step down because a person moves from the acute stage when they're in the hospital to this kind of like interim environment where they need more intense care because they're recovering from an acute situation. Yeah, you're exactly right. And that has become, I think, so much, it has grown so much um, in the past 10, 15 years, uh, because of the fact that we are trying to get people through the acute care system faster, but so many people are not ready to move back, for instance, into their own home after that hospital stay. And so we do have these, the skilled portion of nursing homes, um, usually paid for by Medicare or other insurances, where, where people are able to go for that short period of time and get the more get the clinical services and rehab services that they need. You know, it's my opinion that, that those, those units, those types of um, nursing homes need to also participate in what we term the culture change movement, because still, even for that short period of time, we think that people need to be seen as individuals, that their preferences need to be honored, um, and that their care should be focused and centered and directed by them, even when they're in that space for a short period of time. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. But I think that that's where I'll call it like the misnomer has come from, because the entirety of the environment has started to have been called skilled nursing facility. And so that way of thinking has kind of taken over the long-term care part of that environment, which is really meant to be a home as in nursing home. Um, you know, I've been toying with different wording, you know, maybe we should call them long-term care homes because I think the just the word nursing also still implies that institutional medical model as opposed to, and that's not saying that those people don't need nursing care or that nursing wouldn't be integral to that part of that environment, but nevertheless, it really is a long-term care home, a place where somebody has to live for a longer period of time because they can't um, meet their own needs or the environment that they were living in can't meet their needs any longer. But it's really supposed to be a home for long-term care. You're exactly right. And, and I mean, I think that words do matter. And we have had the facility discussion. And one of the reasons, just to explain why we've tried to get away from the word facility is because you're right, that skilled nursing facility label has become um, the label that's used for any nursing home, even if someone is living there for a number of years. And who, we always say, who wants to live in a facility? Right. And it's really none of us. Right. You know, we want to live in a home. Um, but there, there is a reason why there is a section of some nursing homes. And for some places that are licensed as a nursing home, the whole home itself, you know, is just for that step down or rehab type of care. Um, but you're right, the issue is, is that we have a number of people who are living in 
homes, um, residential care communities, for instance, for long periods of time. And I think that the words we use are important because they create the image in our mind of what that is. And nursing, like you said, is a great example of that. When we think of the word nursing, we we, our minds usually go to something that is medical and that is clinical. We don't think necessarily of all those other aspects of life that come into it. So even when we say nursing home, we also know nursing home itself, those two words have a very negative perception in people's minds. Correct. And because I, we have a long history of, of sort of not, not doing things well. Right, I agree. Homes. But I think also, though, the word nursing itself implies that a person is less able, less capable, is ill, is frail, is infirm. Uh, that's not saying that people don't need care, but the image that it evokes is that these people are a lot more frail or infirm or, you know, near the end, so to speak, uh, than is necessarily the case. I mean, I, I've been in 50 nursing homes, as I say, there are many, many vibrant, vibrant, vibrant people in nursing homes. I've learned a lot from them. I've said at the beginning of my book, one of the things I learned from the time I was like 50 or 60, now I'm 68, I would say when I would meet somebody, even in their 70s or whatever, and they'd ask me my age, and I'd say, oh, I'm nearer to you than you think. And they'd say, when I tell them my age, oh, you're just a kid. And it really, it really kind of uh, sets up a different way of thinking about people who are 10 years your senior, 15 years senior, 20 years your senior, because if you're 10 and somebody is 25, you are a kid. So why when I'm 60 and they're 75, I'm not a kid? I still, you know, uh, am a kid in their mind. Oh, yeah, it's that perception. But you're exactly right. I think that one of the things is that there's, when we sort of alluded to this in the beginning, there's no just one stereotype of a person who lives in a nursing home. The range is huge. I mean, it's it's such a large spectrum and continuum. Um, Because obviously, someone who, for instance, has had a stroke, and has had a lot of physical effects from that stroke, and maybe needs to use a wheelchair is very different from that person who may have some form of dementia, who is able to walk on their own without an assistive device and, you know, things like that, but they need a different kind of support in that home. So, I mean, the, the range is just huge and there is a lot of vibrancy in nursing homes. And I think that's, that's the misperception sometimes too. I uh, talk about this story. Um, I've talked about it several times and especially several times lately in conversations that I have. And I, I told this story in my previous book, which was called Overdue Quality Care for Elder Citizens. I tell the story of this man and he's sitting in a wheelchair and he's kind of, um, if I remember correctly, a, a one side of his face is, uh, is drooped a little bit and he starts to speak. And before he even starts to speak, the audience stands up, he's on a stage and they erupt in applause and he starts to speak and his speech is slurred. And it turns out that this is Kirk Douglas and it was after Kirk Douglas had had his stroke. And so what I say at the end of this story is, but if you saw this person sitting in a nursing home, you would pass them by and not think of them in that way, right? In that, or a- applaud them in that way. But we've all should be applaud- applauded in some way for the life that we've, that we've led or our families applaud us or our communities. I mean, we've all done, contributed in some way, shape or form and made an impact. So I, I like to tell that story because I think it makes people think a little bit about, you know, you, you, you just have this image, as you said in the beginning, of what a nursing home is, who the people are in nursing homes, and you kind of lump them together as just these, quote unquote, older people that are in these places. You're exactly right. And I think that one of the things that we don't always recognize is not only the life that someone has led prior to moving into the nursing home, 
but also the person who they are now. And I, I have this story from when I was an ombudsman and I used to visit a home that actually catered to a younger population. A lot of the residents there were living with multiple sclerosis and they, they were also living with some major mental illness, some of the residents who lived there. So it was a younger population, but they did have a lot of care needs. There was no doubt. And they used to do a lot of drumming, a lot of drumming circles. And there were some residents that because of their um, physical limitations couldn't participate in the drumming. And the administrator there said, well, that doesn't matter. Everyone has a role here and we always need an audience. Would you be kind enough to participate oh as a member of the audience? And of course they were thrilled because what she said is you can't have a performance without an audience. Uh, and it, it was really a way to ensure and to validate the fact that everyone has an important role, even if they can't be the, what we would classify as the doer. Right. They, they were being there as the audience and they were still able to participate. And I just thought that was always beautiful because it showed that no matter where someone was on their journey, and I think this is true for all of us in life, no matter where you are on your journey, you are still important as a person in that moment. It doesn't matter what you did before. It doesn't matter what you're going to do in the future. In that moment, you still are important. I have to tell you when you when you told that story, I got the chills because there are so many times that I think people see a person who can participate and don't think of them as participating in a different role. Just say, oh, they can't do it. And and I think maybe that's a way to think about people who are, and I don't like to use the word disabled or who have different levels of ability. Um, in life. So maybe the person can't do certain things, but they can do other things. And, uh, you know, I'm going to leave it there before we go to break. But this is just a fantastic conversation. I can't wait to come back after the break and also talk about the acronym for the Pioneer Network change, which I, I love. And I want you to explain that. So we'll be right back on Senior Straight Talk, where we're having a great conversation with Penny Cook. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Phyllis Amon, owner of Phyllis Amon Associates, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones and coaches them to become more effective advocates. Her expertise comes from working in over 45 nursing homes. Phyllis, known for her passion, empathy, high-quality care standards, and quality life for older adults, is an experienced educator, speaker, and trainer. She's bridged the gap from healthcare to public and private sector businesses on topics from communication, caregiving, empathy, and novel approaches to team building and leadership. All of Community Services is a 501c3 that provides culturally appropriate services to seniors, their family, and the community. Through their interactive programs, Olive engages participants physically and mentally with a focus on building strength, mobility, and mental health. To learn more, get involved, or make a donation, visit olivecs.org. Together, let's live, learn, and thrive. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are tuned in to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email the host at phyllis at seniorstraighttalk.com. Now back to Senior Straight Talk. Okay, we're here again with Penny Cook having a, a fantastic conversation on Senior Straight Talk about 
about people who reside in nursing homes. And during the break, we had we shared some fantastic stories about the impact that some of the people we've met through our careers have had on our lives. But before we went to break, I asked about this acronym that Pioneer Network has, which is CHANGE. And I really would like you to talk about it, how it evolved and what it stands for. And you know, maybe that can evoke something in people's minds in, in terms of how they think about long-term care space or maybe an advocacy role that they'd like to pursue because they're inspired by it. Sure, and thanks for this opportunity to talk about it. So really the idea of the word change comes from what we term the culture change movement. You know, we've always been trying to change what we see as this institutional culture of nursing homes. Right. And so when when we looked at sort of some new promotional communication marketing type things for Pioneer Network, we thought, well, let's go back to our roots of change. But let's look at the letters of change and see what we're doing that that really makes that come alive. And so we connected each of the letters with a different word of really what our goal and mission is for Pioneer Network. So the first, the C is for convene. And we had a convener, a Pioneer Network, her name was Carter Catlett Williams. And Carter passed away last year um, at the age of 95. Oh. And Carter, oh. Carter, her whole life, she was a social worker who dedicated her whole life to older adults. Um, from the very beginning. She was a leader in the restraint-free movement oh my. in the 70s and 80s. And she just was the epitome of Pioneer Network and culture change. And really, one of the things that Pioneer Network has always done is trying to convene people together. We've called this a movement of attraction. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in changing this culture, of nursing homes. If you're interested in changing the system, come to Pioneer Network and be part of the network. So that's what the C is for. Honor, we thought it was so important, and especially this past year, to honor those who are living and working in senior living communities Mm -hmm. in nursing homes. You know, those people who have lived through this past year um, in nursing homes, those people working in nursing homes, we felt it's so important to honor them. The A is for advocates. You know, we we really have believed, as I said from the beginning, that we need to advocate for the creation of home in nursing homes. We need to advocate for the people who live there. We need to advocate for them to be the center of the care and support that they need. And the N is for nurture. And that's one that's just, just so important to the work that we do, that it's not about somebody's physical health only. It's about their spirit. It's mm-hmm. about their well-being. And we need to nurture that. Again, both people who live there and people who work there. The G in change is for guide. We, From the beginning, we wanted to guide senior nursing home providers on their culture change journey. We knew that the system was not built for the things that we were talking about. So we would need to help not only to provide the basics, but also to guide them along the way with tools and resources. In the A is, or the E is for engage. Um, We are really committed to supporting the equity for all who live in nursing homes and who work in nursing homes. And we need to engage everyone in this process because, and we had this conversation before we started, it's not an us and them. It's uh, It's not that we're at this point in our lives and people who live in nursing homes are at a different point. You know, it's about all of us. We are growing older every day. Right. And so and I, let's look at this us and them environment. This is about all of us, correct. how we want to live our lives as we all grow older. Correct. So I had said before we started that I, I wrote this article and I, I kind of came to this idea as was was the basis for me writing the article, which because we uh, talk a lot about our future selves, I've talked about it, many people, I'm not the first person. And it seemed when I first heard it or thought about it, I said, oh, that makes so much sense. But now recently, I've thought, when you talk about your future self, it's something down the road, it's something outside of yourself, it's something later. 
you may visualize your future. Maybe if you're a, a person at a certain stage in life and you visualize maybe if this is what your preference is, getting married and having children and, and, and um, a home, let's say, or maybe a certain position uh, professionally, or maybe you visualize your retirement, but you don't see yourself as an older person at that stage. So I, I thought that it would be better if we embraced becoming older and that we were all emerging elders. So now it lives inside of you. It's part of you. And it's just another part of that journey. You're exactly right. You know, it, it reminds me at our Pioneer Network conference um, back in 2019, we usually have an in-person conference, but of course, last year and this year, that's going to be canceled. But in 2019, we wanted to honor that concept of elderhood. Right. And I love what you said about an emerging elder. Um, and so we have this, this definition of an elder that came from Barry Barkin. Yep. one of our founders of Pioneer Network, and he's from the Live Oak Institute. And he believes in this concept of a regenerative community that honors elderhood. Right. And he, he, that idea of an emerging elder is something that so resonated with him. Well, at the conference, we talked about elderhood like that. And we, and we honored people who at the point called themselves elders, right. but also talked about how this is a process. Right. But this isn't something that we just sort of enter into that, you know, in a sense, we're preparing for this life stage our whole lives. Correct. You know, there was a book many years ago that didn't uh, approach this part of the conversation from this point of view, but it really uh, is relevant to this. And it was Passages by Gail Shee. And so if you think about it the same way, um, and I, some people call the the older years or or elderhood the second act. I like to call it the third act, because you know you're you're a child, you're a teenager, you're in your adult years and more mature, and you're growing more mature, and then you're in your elderhood years. So I, I like I like to say childhood, adulthood, and elderhood, like it's three acts of life. Uh, and it's three acts of life. It, it really is. And, and maybe that maybe maybe that should be an article, the three acts of life. I love it. I just thought of that. I like that too, because I think that it is important. I think that it is important to separate it. And I think there is a, a great difference that we know between that first act of childhood and that second half half second act of sort of a younger adulthood in a sense. Right. You know, um, and I think that if we look at it that way too, it helps to normalize that third act. Correct. And that's, I think, what's so important as we talk about aging is aging is a normal process. It's Correct. a process that, you know, I will say for myself, I'm fortunate enough to be going through and I want to continue going through that process of aging. Right, because what's the alternative? Exactly, because <laughs> I still have some things I want to do. So I, I, I hope that I keep aging. But I'm not sure if we hear people say that, that they right. hope that they keep aging. Correct. I agree with you. They hope that they keep living, but right. I think that we need to equate aging equals living. I agree. And I, I, and there are some people I've heard many people say, well, if they get to XYZ kind of stage or way of being physically or cognitively, they don't want to be living anymore. And that's, that's a whole other discussion. But it is, it is the journey of living, I say, advancing in years on life, this is your life's journey, you're advancing in years. And, and that's the stage of the more advanced years, just like the younger years, have certain stereotypic um, behaviors or physical abilities uh, at that stage. So, so it's really just th that stage and what you identify as being that stage. But I want to ask you a question, which is, you said you offer tools to providers. And how would you, because I, I'm starting to think about that too, for those providers that, I don't want to say stuck, but are in this uh, way of thinking about the traditional way that a nursing home functions as we know them now. How do you get them to kind of move the needle um, 
on 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 their why, or maybe they had the the correct why when they went into it, but because of the nature of the quote unquote business, it is a business. I'm not faulting anybody for that, but a business is concerns about has certain concerns, financial concerns, and sometimes you kind of lose your way from from the reason that you started in this to to be swayed towards the financial concerns because they're real. I mean, it's a business and it has to be viable so that you could take care of people. But how do you provide the tools in a more traditional environment? Because I know like a greenhouse home has a very different structure. It also has a different physical structure and most places can't you know, re redo their physical plant uh, in order to embrace that. So what kind of tools do you offer to people and how do you initiate contact with people to, to encourage them to embrace some of the different uh, philosophies and ways of providing care that would be consistent with the Pioneer Network's philosophy? Well, it's a great question, Phyllis. And I think that the the ways that we've done it have changed throughout our history because I think that various things have changed. I think, for instance, number one, the regulations have changed to be a bit more person-centered now. You know, our big regulatory change in nursing homes happened in 1987. And at that point, the, the simplest way to put it is the quality of life became equal to quality of care in the regulations, which meant that we started focusing on the, the well-being, the overall well-being of the people who live there, the residents who live there. But then um, back in the, back around 2016, the regulations changed again to be even more person-centered. So I think that overall, nursing homes have a kind of overall structure that they're looking at now to focus on making these changes. There's a regulatory incentive to to do that. Now, having said that, we know that there are many nursing homes that are still, you know, um, further back in their journey (laughs) being anything like a greenhouse um, nursing home. So one of the things that we do is try to reach people where they're at. There are some people that are really still at the beginning of their journey. These are homes where there could still be three or four people living in the same room. Mm -hmm. These are homes where they don't have what we call consistent staffing, the same group of CNAs, for instance, working with the same groups of residents. Um, They may still have have medication carts rolling down the hall. They may still have medication carts in the dining room. I mean, things like that. So it's all all examples that, that they're not very far along on their culture change journey. So we try to start where they're at. Right. So just to just to talk about even what we mean when we say culture change and and we look at it as sort of three buckets. There's a personal transformation that staff members really need to make. And I mean, all staff members. So not just people who are directly working with residents like CNAs and dining assistants and housekeepers, things like that, but also administrators and directors of nursing and the owners and the leaders of senior living communities of nursing homes. So there's that personal transformation. Then there's that organizational transformation. Nursing homes traditionally have very siloed approaches to things. Correct. Nursing and dining and activities. Well, when you think about that siloed approach, I don't care if we're talking about a nursing home or any other business, it usually doesn't work that well. And it doesn't necessarily facilitate communication. And it also is very hierarchical, which means that you don't have, for instance, CNAs who are closest to the resident being able to actually problem solve because they're working in this, you know, very siloed system. So we talk about what it means to make organizational changes. And then there are environmental changes that really help to create home. And you're so right. Most of our nursing homes in the the United States were built in the 1950s. We can't tear down every nursing home and build a small house or even a household model, but there are changes that can be made. So for instance, there's this nursing home in Denver and they really relied, flat roof, 1950s style nursing home, um, two people living in 
almost every room, they got their maintenance folks, their maintenance men in this case, to be heavily involved in creating a transformation. What it meant was that every resident could pick the color of their room. If it was a roommate situation, they talked to each other. Instead of a curtain separating the beds, they built these three-quarter privacy walls. They were able to do this all internally. They built this three-quarter privacy walls. They put doorbells Mm -hmm. in front of every door to the room so that instead of knocking, you rang the doorbell. Right, right. Instead of a call light, it looks like a porch light. Right, right. Right. They put murals in the hallways. Now, you know, did it totally transform everything? Did it did, did did it turn every room into a private room with a private bath? No, it did not. But it actually made progress in having residents involved and also having it be more like a home. And so these environmental changes can be made. So we have examples, for instance, on our website of how you can redesign things inexpensively. We also have examples of how you can, you know, build a small house model. So, so yeah, I'm sorry. I just wanted to interject a couple of ideas, Uh, not ideas, but um, difficulties that I've had challenges that I've come across with owners or administrators. So I'm going to ask you because there may be people listening who wonder, well, is this so easy to do? It really isn't so easy to do. And a few, and that's why Bill Thomas actually is one of my heroes because of how he was able to transform a nursing home from, from what we're talking about, what they used to be to this Eden environment was just beyond the pale for me. And just on a simple level, I, I was working in a, in a, skilled nursing facility a few years ago, and the dining rooms were dismal, they were horrible. And all I advocated for was how about if we paint the dining room, put up some pictures, make it more like a a dining experience, couldn't even get them to to do that, which was very discouraging. And, And that's why I'm asking, how can you get people, and these are not major changes, these are not changes that require a lot of financial outlay. There was another one that I was doing some oversight in last year. And it had been a school. And um, so it it was a school that was built in what every year. And when I went in, it was so dismal. I said, how can anybody even want to work here, let alone live here? So I came up with an idea of how they could involve the community and talk about intergenerational programming I suggested they partner with either a high school or a middle school and art department and have the kids come in and talk about the kinds of uh, with the with the residents and the staff, what kinds of things they would like to be looking at, what kind of paintings, what kind of murals, and that the students would go back and design it. These were art students, then they'd come back and show the the staff and the and the residents what they came up with. And then I thought they could partner either with a Home Depot or a local um, hardware store to donate paint. And that when the children came, high school kids or middle school kids and did the painting, the residents would be talking to them, probably talk about their memories. It would be a great intergenerational experience. And then when it was finished, they could invite the neighborhood in and they probably could wind up doing a little showing, maybe be written up in a local newsletter. This would create tremendous community awareness. It would open this nursing home up to the community so that people would see what was happening inside rather than it being like locked away, closed away, cloistered someplace. I couldn't get them to do it. And when I went back a few months later, they obviously were working with some organization, put up some wallpaper that they liked and um, spiffed it up, so to speak, that way. And I just thought it was so antithetical to what could have been. Um, So how do you, do you have any suggestions from me on how would I or somebody get somebody to see it? Maybe I didn't communicate it well enough. Well, actually, when you think about our system, Phyllis, of, you know, think about the story you told, but if we're talking about restaurants, Right. You know, restaurants are 
for a large part, unless you're in a rural community where there's only one or you have limited choices, um, it's about it's about the demand. It's about your performance. It's about your environment. It's about the food. It's about the service. It's about the environment that you're eating in, right? I mean, if if the environment, if it's if it's a shack-like type of restaurant, um, but the food is outstanding, hey, that's going to make up for it. But in a nursing home environment, you know, it's not driven by those sorts of things. We have primary payer sources like Medicare and Medicaid. That, that really drive the system more than consumer demand does. But having said that, I think that one thing that can drive nursing homes to change is that consumer demand. It's not going to be overnight, but this is something that we have really tried to educate and advocate about, that consumers, people who are going to move into nursing homes at some point in time, so I'm not talking about people of a certain age, it can be all of us, consumers need to start demanding this type of care and support from nursing homes. We need to start demanding the types of environments we want, Mm -hmm. and that starts with just looking at what's happened over the past year for residents and nursing homes, we need to say this isn't okay. I As agree. Society, we need to say this isn't okay. And that needs to be heard. We need to push that. So it's not just with the nursing homes themselves, it's with your local state officials and with the federal government as well that we need to start demanding these changes. So I think that that's a, that's a big big piece of it. And I agree with you. And when I first started writing uh, the books that I've written, and by the way, I'm so proud to have my latest book, Dignity and Respect, Our Aging Parents Getting What They Deserve as part of Pioneer Network's bookstore. I am, I'm really, I'm not just saying that I'm beyond proud to. But we're so pleased to have it. So thank you. But it, but it's about that. That's why I started this really for people to become more informed advocates so they can be more informed so they can be more effective advocates, not only for their loved ones care now, but saying, you know, this expression from the movie network from a gazillion years ago, I'm mad as hell and I can't take it anymore, that this is not acceptable, that we will not accept this for our loved ones or for ourselves. We need to do something different. We need to do better. Exactly. And I think that that's the message. If there's one message to, to get out of, of our time together, it's that people need to be involved. We can't just expect the system to change. We need to push and advocate to change it. So for those nursing homes that you're talking about and the example you gave that really didn't make that much progress on improving their their environment, in reality, Phyllis, it's probably because they don't think that they have to. Right. That there's not the demand for them to change both from the people who move in there, but from, you know, the, the society at large either. There are so many nursing homes that really have been going along in the same way that they've been doing things year after year, decade after decade in some cases, because they can. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that less people are moving there. It doesn't mean that less people are living there. And that's part of the issue. So it needs to come from all of us. It needs to come from us as a collective Mm. voice that we demand these changes. Well, I'm only thinking, I know you have to go and and we have to, we have to end at some point. I could talk with you forever about this, but uh, there, there may be an incentive now because I think less people want to go to nursing homes, not that people wanted to go to them before, but the COVID situation has brought some of the problematic issues of nursing homes to light and people prefer not to go to nursing homes now. So there may be a financial impact that would motivate some providers to change. In addition to the fact now there's greater emphasis on people remaining in their homes and there are going to be financial programs that will allow them to do that, which also will affect a nursing home occupancy. So maybe there will be a greater incentive for them to embrace some of these changes to apply, you know, so that their environment is, is a more pleasing environment, is a, is a place where people 
you know, would want to move to or live uh, when they need more care. And I am definitely hoping for that as well. You know, because of all the conversations that have been had over the past year, I think you are going to see some changes in nursing homes. I think you're also going to see some closures of nursing homes. And I I don't always think that that's a bad thing in some cases of those places that choose not to make those changes and that don't have enough people moving in, which means that they can't continue to operate. Right. Um, I always feel bad for the people who currently live there, which means that they have to find another home. And the but people it, that work there. And the people who work there, I, although I think there's more opportunity for them these days because of our workforce issues. Right. Um, but I, I do think that you're going to see more closures as well. I think that there is always going to remain a place for nursing homes in our system because not everyone can get the care and support that they need in their own family home. But I think that you're going to see changes. There's more opportunity now for those changes than ever before after what we've seen the last 12 months. And I really do hope that that's the silver lining, one of the silver linings of this pandemic that we've experienced. Yeah, I really hope so. I guess on that note, we have to end. Like I said, I could could talk to you about this for... forever, I guess, or for a very long period of time. I'm passionate about it. So do you. We we come to it actually from a similar space. You were a social worker and I'm a speech pathologist who worked in many long-term care homes or nursing homes. And so we've seen so much and what the, we I think we both see what the possibilities are. And so hopefully our vision for the possibilities and maybe as things change, other people will embrace possibilities that will benefit people that are living in residences now, but that, you know, the, the population that's going to increase and, and maybe have to move to, to nursing homes. So, I mean, Penny, this has just been terrific. I'm so glad to have the opportunity to talk to you. And, and I, I'm really sincere when I say how proud I am that, that, uh, that you were willing to accept my book into the Pioneer Network bookstore. It's just, um, it's just very thrilling for me to be perfectly honest. So, Well, thank you so much for having me, Phyllis, and thanks for being the advocate that you are and for really bringing the information to everyone out there. That's what's really needed. So thank you, and thanks for having me. Uh, Thanks so much. So to our listeners, I'll say please join us on our next episode of Senior Straight Talk for more informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. And please remember to like, click, and share our episodes. And until next time, stay safe, stay well, and stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Senior Straight Talk. Join your host, Phyllis Amon, again soon for another episode on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or your favorite podcast platforms.